co-labor with you, Father. Just take a few moments and ask the Lord to build your life in a few different ways for this year. Things that might have been goals that you set or even things that God can give you right now in your spirit. Just commit those things to the Lord right now. God, I want to build my family with you this year. From homeschooling to teaching them the things of your word and devotions. Give me your strength, your wisdom, your anointing. Lord, I want to build friendships with those in the community. I want to see souls saved in my everyday life and disciples made. Lord, I want to see my finances increase, oh God. Blessed to be a blessing. Give me wisdom. We will build with you, Jesus, upon your rock and upon your foundation, our lives. We commit this to you. We commit this to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord because he's going to build your life? Amen. You may be seated. God is going to build our lives. How many believe that today? You know, I think about all of the things that we see today in the media, all the things that we see happening around our world, and the most obvious thing is that Jesus is the answer. And what most people don't understand is like the simple parables of Jesus, the simple analogies of Jesus are the most transforming things of our lives. I mean, you never move past them. How many remember hearing the the story of Jesus talking about building your life upon a rock? And then he said, my words are that rock. How many remember that? A few of you? Good morning. Are you guys here this morning? (laughs) Are you the frozen chosen? Are you guys going to be on fire for Jesus? First Presbyterian Church, welcome here today. No, come on. Everybody say, I'm Pentecostal. Come on, say, I got the fire, yeah. Somebody say, I got the fuego de Dios. Amen. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Christ is here. Let me ask this question again. How many remember the story of Jesus saying, build your life on my words? And he said, that's the rock. How many are now just seeing that life without God is on sand? That's what he said the other option is. Marilyn Manson now has come out to be abusive towards women. Is that a surprise to anybody? The guy who was drinking blood on stage, urinating on stage, being perverse on stage, is now being canceled for being gross with women. Why does that surprise anybody? You know, like this is, this is the wickedness of our world. You know, build your life upon Jesus and you don't have to live like Marilyn Manson. Live your life upon Jesus. And, and, you know, somebody might say right back to us, well, what about, you know, the failings of the televangelists, et cetera? Well, the same thing. Build your life upon Jesus, and you won't have an embarrassing scandal that gets revealed after you pass away. So these kinds of things, you know, we, we've heard as children or even as new believers, you know, build your life on Jesus. And then we kind of think we move away from that. You know, like we're deeper than that now. We're smarter than that. No, we're not. Build your life on Jesus. Every day of your life, build your life on Jesus and his word. Never place anything above God and his word. God's word is your foundation. And so whatever the culture does, you don't change. You stay based on God's word. I sent out a post like that on Facebook the other day, and I said, hello, non-Christian friends. Let me just remind you, we are Christians. Non-Christians, let me remind you, we are Christians. We follow God's word. We change not. Okay? So... You know, people sometimes want to look at the the changing of culture for the good and then point out Christians that weren't for that change and then say, well, that proves the Bible is wrong. No, it doesn't. It just proves people are wrong. That's what it proves. So they'll say like, oh, you know, the church got behind, you know, standing against slavery. We've always been against slavery. Read Read the book of Philemon. We have a book about it, okay? We have a book that says set that man free. But then they'll point to a scripture talking about, you know, submitting, slaves submitting to your masters. And they'll say, oh, you were, you were for the slavery like we had in the South. They don't know what they're talking about. That is the equivalent of saying, you know, uh, employees submit to your boss. That's what it is the equivalent of. It says in the same book of Timothy where it says slaves submit to your masters. masters. It says in the same book you cannot steal people. It says if you steal people, you're going to the same hell as those who murder their mothers and fathers. How many know that's in the Bible? And so people, people who think like, oh, the church, the church got, got with the program and started supporting freedom. No, we've been free supporting people for freedom. We in the Roman Empire were against the Roman kidnapping of people, the pederasty, the killing of innocent children, abortion, sex trafficking. These were all Christian issues. How many believe that? 
And so when people say, oh, Christians, you're going to change. You're going to change on this issue. They're, they're like, oh, you're going to change according to the culture with homosexuality. You know, they look at the statistics, and they're like, you know, you know 20, 30 years ago, only 5, 10% of Christians supported homosexuality. Now 20, 30, 40%, whatever, supported. And they're like, you know, you guys are going to support it eventually. And then what's going to happen is you'll look back, your children will look back and say, oh, we, we knew what we were supposed to do. We just didn't do the right thing, kind of like how you did in slavery. You know, they're, they're kind of playing that with us. No, 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 no. The difference between slavery and homosexuality is slavery was always wrong. Jesus didn't own no slaves. Are you listening to me? And the people who had servants, the people who had servants, they were like employees. They were like people working for their master. They were to be treated a certain way. That's why the Bible says if in, in the, because I'm going through the yearly Bible, those of you who want to know what I do in my devotions, I'm going through the Bible a year. I've done that a few times in my life. I did it last year. I'm doing it again this year. And if you read in the book of Exodus, and it talks about if you injure a slave, if you poke out an eye of a slave or you break an arm of a slave, the slave goes free. So whatever these people are thinking we're treating slaves as is wrong according to the Bible. It's like workers' compensation. You do this to your servant, you got to let them free, and you still got to pay them, okay? So anyways, we go back to the scriptures, and we understand very clearly that homosexuality has always been a sin. It's always been a sin, just like murdering somebody is a a sin. How many understand that? And so when we change with the culture, like let's say today I'm not wearing knickers. Look that up someday, okay? So I'm not wearing knickers, and I'm not, you're like, amen, you're excited about that. Your husband's not wearing knickers. When we change with the culture as Christians, it's because like we're changing from what we wear or riding on horses to being in cars. We're not changing on anything that's doctrinal or moral. And so you can think about it like this. Orthodoxy is an orthodox uh, doctrine. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy is the orthodox practice of the church. So we have the orthopraxy and the orthodoxy of the church. We continue in that. We're not going to change that. And so I'm just getting on to what we, this is the sermon before the sermon. How many came to church ready this morning? Amen. We'll be out of town next week. I hardly ever go out of town a few weeks in a row, but next week I'll be out in Dallas, so I'll be preaching there. I'll be suffering in the 60-degree weather, though they might get snow around Wednesday. Pray for us, okay? But I got to give you double for your trouble right now, okay? Amen. How to warm your spiritual soul up with the Word of God. This is just from the, the song we were singing. You've got to build your life on the Word of God because the Word of God is the firm foundation for sexuality. The Word of God is the firm foundation for culture and society. And so when people are like, well, you're changed on this, you'll change on that. No, we won't. We will not change our doctrines. And what will happen is, I believe, I believe that over time we will see what God has said to be true, to be best. It is true, and sometimes it hurts. I agree with that. Sometimes truth hurts. For, for example, living for Jesus in China right now does not get you houses and land and prosperity. But living for Jesus in America, houses and land may be a part of that. You may be blessed. How many want to be blessed in America? You want to own things. You want to buy and sell things. You want your business to be blessed. But in China, the truth is Jesus is still Lord, but you may now go to poverty because of that. That doesn't make it any less true because it doesn't give you a temporary blessing. But now listen, it's the same thing with the commands of God. The commands of God at times may bless you in the temporal. You may be blessed. Like, for example, there was a time when you were blessed in your job, in your business, when you had bathrooms for male and female, and and you only let people according to their DNA and their chromosomes go to those bathrooms. How many know what I'm talking about? You were blessed because of that. Now, because you want to do that in your business, you're going to be cursed. And, and you're going to have trouble with that. And you're going to have to make a decision on what's most important for you and your business in that situation. By the way, I just want to talk this uh, real quick about Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. When they were in Babylon, do you even know? Some of you might know, but do you guys even know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's Hebrew names? They were called by, uh, I almost want to call on you right now. If you know it, you know it, give me their Hebrew names. But you know they had Hebrew names. Okay, I know what you're saying, girl. Sometimes I hear out the corner right here. I, I always want to pay attention to what's going on in the corner. Azariah was one of them. Azariah was one of them. I can't remember the other two off top. Jared, my, my walking Bible man, is now in Dallas. I need a new Bible man in here to figure it out. It's going to be you, sir. You right there at the hat. It's going to be you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so I need a new Bible man in the church. We don't even know their names. Why? In the Hebrew, they say it in the book of Daniel, but we don't know it exactly, exactly. Why? Because they kept getting called by their pagan names. So here's the thing. In Babylon, somebody say Babylon. Babylon. 
In Babylon, if you want me to call this person by this person's name and these different things, if I'm going to work here, I have no problem with that. Listen, one of the most radical pastors you're talking to right now has no problem calling Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, if I'm on a job in a scenario. You know why? Because I'm in where? Babylon. If that's what you want me to call this person, I'll call him Pinocchio. I'll call him Big Bird. I'll call him whatever you want me to call him. But when you have me start violating my religious faith, you have me start doing that. Now, for some of you, that's against your conscience right there. And that's okay. You're not going to last very long in Babylon. You're going to get put to prison, you know. So you got to make a decision like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are pagan names. How long you're going to put up with stuff. And so God will give you a grace in Babylon. There will be things you'll get thrown into the fire for. Make sure you're counting the cost for those things. Okay? And, and I said that long before the Nini's Deli in these situations. But going back to this, going back to this. I actually believe that, you know, right now there's a cost for us standing up for unborn life. You know, there's a cost for us standing up for genders as defined by biology. That there's a cost standing up for sexuality as defined by biology as well. But I believe you give humanity a long enough time, should the Lord tarry, people are going to be like, yeah, it's better to fix people's minds than to try to change their bodies. Genderism should go back to an illness, and we'll see more progress this way. Come on. I believe that's actually going to happen. I believe in our lifetime that even the most staunch atheists, who I have met at times now in a minority, are pro-life. But I'm saying everybody across the globe, like they believe the moon exists and all of these things, they'll be like, that's a baby inside of there. We should not kill that baby. I believe you give people... Long enough, they will figure it out because God's truth will prevail. Now, going to the book of Revelation, people talking about end-time deception. I don't know if the devil's going to deceive them in a whole bunch of different ways before that can happen. But I'm just saying, should the Lord tarry, if we had enough time, I actually think we would win the culture war. Now, how long does God want us to be here before he sets the whole place on fire? I don't know. But I still believe, just like how science wins things over time, just like how the truth of Christianity wins things over time, that's why, like, the Bible says we're like a mustard seed and we just start off small and keep growing and growing and growing. Like, you, you, you didn't hardly hear of any Christians in Iran 50 years ago, and now Christianity is just growing, growing, growing in Iran. I believe they would take over Iran if they had more time, if they weren't being martyred all the time, if they were protected. I believe just like in Africa, Africa was mostly tribal, and then it was between the Christians and the Muslims that were starting to come in and do missionary work, and then it looked like Islam was going to win the continent of Africa, but then the nation of Africa got bonkified, if anybody knows about Reinhard Bonnke, and in the last 50 years, Christianity swept through Africa, and we won. So I don't want you to be discouraged in these last days. Hold to the Christian truths. If, believe if the Lord should tarry that it's worth the fight. It's worth the fight to teach people to build their life on God's word. Build your life on God's word. Build your life upon the foundation of Jesus. Build your life upon his teachings and a culture, a society, politics, businesses, families will be the better for it. Praise God. Are you guys ready for the second sermon for today? Amen. In most churches, you'd be getting your coffee and your latte now, and it would be done. But I'm ready to preach. I'm excited. Open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2. On my ride over here, I got to Revelation 20, starting from chapter 1 all the way to 20, double speed, audio Bible, bam, almost listened to the whole book over here. I was listening to the judgments and all of those things, and I was like, man, this is, this is going to be crazy down here. When we get to the judgments, I don't even know what we should do. Maybe we should do a play and act some of it out, you know, <laughs> put a warning for the children to turn away. I mean, it's, it's serious. That's why a lot of times when people are like, well, what do you have against Christmas and all that? And I'm like, well, we're not supposed to be looking back at his first coming. If we're supposed to have any day, it's supposed to be his second coming. So instead of celebrating Christ's mass, let's celebrate Christ's judgment. Once a year, will we all dress up like the horsemen of the apocalypse? We, we give each other bits of the gospel. We put it together and make the full gospel because the Bible says the angel brings the full gospel across the earth. I don't know. I'm trying to make this cool. And then we do different plays and skits. Instead of baby in a manger, we have Jesus coming in on a horse with his robe dipped in blood, dripping all over the sanctuary. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's what we need. You know, Christ's mass gets us celebrating the birth, which is awesome, but that's not what we're supposed to be thinking about now. Amen. 
We're supposed to be thinking about Jesus on a white horse coming with a sword, conquering the world, submitting all nations to himself. I think that would just be awesome. Wouldn't that just be great if the Lord tarries? Here's another little imagination thing. Like, I think we'd win the culture war. But wouldn't that be something if the Lord tarries, if Metro Praise is the, is, is the beginning, uh, starts a new holiday, a new holy day. Like, it literally just, like, it just becomes a thing. Like, Jason, you know, like, let's say the Lord tarries 50 to, to, to 100 years. Let me just say this real quick. If everybody, because we're talking about the book of Revelation, if everybody who was possibly alive when Israel became a nation and Jerusalem became, became a part of the occupied territory of Israel around 1948 and all of that. If all those people could possibly be alive, have died, and Christ is not coming back, I don't know when he is coming back. Because my prediction was in the generation, this generation shall not pass away, the budding of the fig tree, that was for that generation. So your pastor would admit he's wrong. So if they go, hey, man, there is nobody alive who would have been born or around at 1948. They're not around anymore. I'm going to come back to church and we'll be like, get ready for some bumpy stuff. We're going to be here for a while. It gets quiet. <laughs> it gets quiet when I preach like that. But let's be honest, those of you who have been around the church for a while, isn't that, isn't that the how Lindsay, you know, late great planet Earth, all of us who believe in the left behind, it's that generation. So if we are wrong on that, we're going to have to admit we're wrong. What's going to be my backup plan? Somebody say backup. My backup is going to be the Jewish calendar concluding to 6,000 years of human history. Put it up, what is the year to the Jewish folks? And I believe this goes back to the... What is it? 5781. Just put it up to check this man right here, but I am impressed, sir. God bless you keeping up with the Jewish calendar. This man may be right, and I'll give him a treat if he is. Anybody got any money on him? I'll give him a treat. Going to bless him today. Man, if he's right, I'm going to bless you out of my secret stash. I know you didn't do it for a secret stash, but the SUM students will tell you this, that sometimes when somebody does something really cool, I give them some money. Someone will give you money, man. But let's see. Can we get this up? Jewish year. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Google University and see what it says. Where is it? Okay. What year did you say it was? All right. Come on. Give it up for Alfred. Chris, $20 bill. Alfred might be the new Bible man here. Okay, put it up there for us all to see. We're not even done. We're getting the third sermon today. This is the second one. Third is coming up. Put up that Jewish year for me, please. Subtract it. Somebody on their calculator, subtract that by 6,000, six days of human history. Seventh day we rest. That would be my next thought here. So uh, 6,000 minus, if we could put the day back up there, 5,081 we may have 219 more years to go because this is what the Jewish folks said. They said if he doesn't come by the uh, end of 6,000, uh, by the, by the 6,000 year mark, that something's wrong with what they're, they're thinking. Now that, of course, could just be another thing that they're wrong on, but I think that that may be true. So this is just my plan B. I don't know why are we not able to get it back up. Did we lose it? Okay, sorry about that, guys. All right, there you go. There you go. It just completes the thought here. So everybody get this. In the book of Revelation, we're going to study it today. Let's let's scroll to wherever it says the year. We don't need a whole series on it. I just want to see where it says the year of the thing. Yeah, just give us the year again. I think it's in the other thing you guys had put up. Do you understand what we're looking for, though, just to make sure, like, we're on the same page? I just just wanted to say 5,871. Yeah, just tell me where it says the year. There we go. Where did it say it before? Go, go down here for me, please. Just go, what year is it? The Jewish, no, not, see, that's the whole point. We have the wrong words up there. Put Jewish year, Jewish year. That's all we need. Somehow we went, to, there we go. There we go. Now scroll down a little bit. Isn't that somehow Google had it and then it lost it? Okay, go back to Jewish year. Oh, my gosh. I know. Go back to Jewish year, I know. Go right there to that Google search engine for me, please. I'm not OCD, but I'll be it on Sunday. That's not what I wanted us to click. If we could please go back. Is it there? Is it there? God have mercy if it's not. Now we're, just go down here. No, 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 no. Where? Go right there. 
There we go. Let's give it up for the guys in the back. They've done amazing. We're so proud of them. Now click on it. There we go. Now do not touch anything. <laughs> Leave this here for us, please. Here it is. Plan B. If there is nobody alive, and from 1948, everybody tracking with me, your pastor in his timeline and all the strings on the board with the yarn connecting all the points together that made me think Jesus was coming back in my lifetime, I'm then going to rehash and then say, guys, get ready for a bumpy road. We're going to be here for the next 200 plus years. Now, what if? What if that is true? Let's not even say whether or not it is true. Let's just say a what if. Everybody that's here, most of you would probably be like me, a supporter in the belief that Jerusalem and Israel mark the end time calendar as a, you know, kind of like if you turn over an hourglass, like the sand coming out, that that marks the, the amount of time that we have. So the moment Israel became a nation, time starts ticking down to when we're raptured, taken out, and Christ comes back. So here's the thing. There are people in the Christian church that actually have different opinions. There are some that don't even believe in a literal rapture. They believe believe we come, uh, we rule and reign and take over the earth, we Christianize the earth, and then comes Christ. They, Christ comes back to a Christianized earth. John Wesley, some of my heroes, Jonathan Edwards, a lot of the Puritans believe this, and it's actually more, it, this belief of Christianizing the world is actually more historic than any other belief, okay? Just to give you the historical, like, if you're taking notes and uh, who has the more votes on their team, who has the more church support, th this is the idea that we conquer the the earth, not through war. Let's be very clear, not through physical war, and we got in trouble when we tried it that way, but through the preaching of the gospel, we Christianize the world, and then Christ comes back to a Christianized world. Some of the famous people that believe this right now are people like we've talked about, a lot of Calvinists. Some Calvinists believe what we do, but other Calvinists believe like this as well. Jeff Durbin, James White, Douglas Wilson, others who are alive today. And then now there is a revitalization of this belief into charismatics. Like, you know, Bethel, Bill Johnson, a lot of those guys, they believe we Christianize the world. But of course, Bethel has to make it weird <clears throat> because they make a lot of things weird. We still love them, but they believe we actually go to glowing before Jesus comes back. So there's a glorification of Christians. <laughs> Some of you looking at me like, yeah, do they believe? They actually believe that. So we go, we go from glory to glory to glory. And one of the stages of glory on earth of Christianizing the world is we start to glow in our glorified bodies. And then Christ comes back at some point, which to me is out of context. Whatever happens towards the end, we know for sure we do not get glorification until Christ comes back. There is no glorification before Christ. But here's just the point that I want to make. Should the Lord tarry another 200 plus years, and this is not the generation that goes to be with the Lord, what are you going to do? What are you and I going to do? That's right. I wish I had more money to give you, man. You're on a roll now. You're on a roll. <laughs> We're going to keep preaching we got to keep doing the work of the ministry. So if you have in your mind, man, I'm just escaping out of here, let me just tell you, a lot of end-time prophecy date-setting stuff has been wrong. When I was listening to the book of Revelation here, I was like, oh, man, I understand that. I totally get this. Then a few moments later, I'm like, but I have no idea when this is going to happen. Then a few moments later, I'm like, I totally understand what that angel is going to do. That sounds pretty clear. When is that angel going to do it? Man, I don't know. Is the angel circling back to the seals? Is this going back to the bowls of wrath or are the trumpets a different thing? You know, you kind of want to look at it like, a, like one, two, three. There's, there's the, um, the seals of the scroll that bring judgment, then there are the angels, and then are the bowls of wrath, and then there are the angels. And so you want to look at it like, well, first come the seals, then come the, uh, the bowls, then come the angels. But sometimes people look at them as layered, that they're all happening at the same time. And, it was, and it's circling back, that, that the author is just going back to a time when the judgment was coming and is now describing what these angels and bowls are doing. So my point is, I don't know for sure how the time frame works, how many have heard of it will pan out like I'm a pantheist, but not in the word way of like I believe everything is God, but it will pan out, pan, pan tribalism or whatever they call it. Nobody knows that. Okay. In Bible college, they have a joke about that. I messed it up. But the idea is are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? Are you pan-trib? 
Like you're going to just know that God's, it's going to work. It's going to pan itself out. Because here's the thing. We don't know the time frame. The Jewish people had 4,000 years as a community to get ready for the Messiah. And not only did they miss it, oh, and there was a countdown. Daniel gave a 400 plus year countdown from when it was going to happen. That it had to happen. According to Daniel, it had to happen within this 400, I believe, 30 year time frame. And they still missed the Messiah. So do you think how Lindsay and all of us are going to get it right on the first try here? I'm not too sure about that, but I do hope that I'm ready, and I do hope that it comes sooner than later. How many are ready to meet Jesus? But I want to prepare you as Christians, as we're talking about the culture battle, as we're talking about going hard for Jesus, that we are prepared to live another 200 years. What if the 100,000 on the board is a part of that? Come on, somebody. What if the churches around the world are a part of that? So going back to that little joke that I was saying about Judgment Day instead of Christmas, what if we had 200 years to make a whole new holiday in the Christian church? And so, you know, 150 years from now, nobody gives a rip about Christmas. Nobody cares about Christmas anymore. Everybody's celebrating Judgment Day because the Metro Praise folks started a new Bible Belt in in the world, and now they follow these holidays, and these are the special days of those crazy folks. And those those folks have the holiday now on lock, and everybody's celebrating Judgment Day. Would you do it, John? Uh, man, my brother, would you do it if you were still here? Jason, I almost called you Josh, but that's not today. That was the other time I forgot everybody's name. But listen to me, Jason. Jason, should the Lord tarry, I've passed away. You're an old man. Think about this. You're 90 years old. Could it be he's the president of Metro Praise International, and he shows up to that meeting, and he goes, listen, brothers and sisters. I was around in the times of Joe and all those young, young radicals. I watched them become old and pass away. And they said that if the Lord should tarry, he's going to have a southern accent too. If the Lord, he's going to have a little whistle, a little whistle when he talks. He said if the Lord, he said if the Lord should tarry, that maybe we should make a new holiday. Just imagine this. This is like 60 years from now, okay? How old are you right now? So you'll be 80 years old. Let's say 70 years from now. 70 years from now, I'm 44, 120. I am dead. I'm gone. And most of y'all gone. A lot of you still around. He's like 90 years old. And he's like, but I heard him say we should start Judgment Day. Let's start Judgment Day. Okay, now you guys tracking with me, right? That's, that's 70 years from now. You're 90 years old, 70 years from now. From the calendar of 2000, uh, 219 years, we still have over 100 and some years left for plan B. You guys get this? This, this can still go on for a while. There have been people that thought this was going to end, and it did not end. People during World War I, they're like, surely Jesus is coming back. There's no way we can make it through this and it's not be Judgment Day. Then World War II came and they said, oh man, he has got to come back. You know, then the 60s came and people were looking at the cultures going, oh man, he has got to come back. We may, get this in your mind everybody, we may be in the equivalent of time frame. We may be in the equivalent of those who lived in the 1800s. There may be that much history. When you look back to the 1800s and how many things have changed from 1800 to 2000, just think about how many things have changed from the time of Abraham Lincoln until now, and he's even in the middle, like later 1800s, right? You're talking all that time. We still may be in that point of history right now. There may be a long way off in the distance that we have to travel, and we've got to be ready to go with Jesus all the way. Somebody say, I'm going all the way. Jesus. Amen. Revelation chapter 2. That's exciting. Exciting things to think about. I know some of you think it's more exciting to think about getting ejected out of here, but I am telling you, I'm excited to do both. I don't just think about, oh, it's exciting to take me up, Jesus. I also think it's exciting if we're going to be here for another 200 years because we win. If that's the way it's going to be for the next 200 years, there's so much more Christian things to do for God 
Man, that would be awesome and exciting. I could preach a whole nother message on that, like Christianizing the world. Wouldn't it just be amazing that if we won the Muslim world to Jesus, we won the Asian world to Southeast Asia, the Hindus to Jesus? Oh, and let me just say this. And then a lot of people are like, well, Joe, would you still believe in the tribulation and all of that, or would you just think that happened in 70 AD? Because remember, the preterist believes it's already already happened. The futurist believes it's to the, to the future. But listen, I absolutely could... And it might even be a good thing for that because guess what? If the majority of the population is saved, everybody get this. Let's say there's 12 billion people on the planet at that time or 20 billion. Just whatever number you can think of, we can multiply to that. Let's say there's, let's make it an even 10 billion. Let's say that in the next 200 years, we win 8 billion to the Lord. Instead of there being a majority that are left, a majority are taken. And then it's just the crazy folks left down here that get the judgment. There's enough. I mean, all you have to do to make the book of Revelation work with numbers is just have enough to form 10 nations, you know, the, the nations that are being formed, enough for the battle of Armageddon, the, you know, enough to be slaughtered and fill up the blood as high as a horse's head, you know, just need about that amount of blood, 100 million, 100 mil. So what? A few billion. What does that mean? That could mean that God in the great crescendo of human history takes out eight billion people, that the greatest harvest is still ahead of us. Wouldn't that be amazing? So some people are like, man, like, like bonking those guys. They were believing for a billion-person harvest and then Jesus to rapture us home. I'm still believing plan A. Let's believe God for that. How many want to see a billion folks saved? Let's head home. Now, depending on who you count as Christians, did the Catholics get in? The Catholics, you know, are they getting in? Because if they're not, then that's a lost people group. Uh, are the Orthodox getting in? That's another lost people group. So if, according to the evangelicals, we're the only ones getting in, we are just about shy of a billion, so only one billion out of eight billion are getting in. Everybody go, oh, that's a bad day, right? I mean, that's a lot of people facing Armageddon. That's a lot of people going to hell. So in the other, you flip, you flip it around, see you on the flippity-flop. If, if that gets flipped around, wouldn't it be amazing that seven or eight billion go to heaven and only one or two are left, billion, left for the judgments of God? something to think about. Now, if it was up to you, which it's not, what would you choose? Everybody think about this real quick. Option A, we get raptured out of here early. Yay, we get to go be with Jesus. Forget the seven billion now that are going to face the wrath of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the bowls of wrath and the trumpets of God's anger. Seven billion. Now, there has to always be some leftover for us to rule and reign over, but that's another discussion. So here's option A. We get raptured out, but we get raptured out in the next 10 to 20 years, but 7 billion, seven, so a billion get raptured out at the most, seven, maybe let's say we win the billion harvest. So 2 billion get raptured out, and 7 or 8 billion get left for the slaughter, or... Option B, Jesus comes back in two, three hundred years, and there's seven, eight billion raptured out and only two billion left for the wrath of the Lord. Hmm. Now, it doesn't matter to us what we think, you know, because God's not taking a vote right now like, hey, angels, stop what you're doing. We're going to watch Metro Praise vote on this right now. And then we're going to know the hour and the day. We did not know before. We did not know the hour or the day before. But now as Metro Praise votes, we're going to vote on it. But it's something to think about, It is, isn't it? So I want to be prepared for both. Everybody go to Revelation chapter 2. Today we're going to talk about not losing your first love. How many love Jesus? How many want to keep your love for Jesus strong? Amen. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Powerful passage here. When we look at the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is revealing to us who? Who's the main character? Jesus, not the anti-Jesus, not the antichrist, not the beast, not the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse, not the judgment angels with bowls and trumpets of wrath. Who is the main, who is the main character in the book of Revelation? What is his name? Jesus. And who is the secondary character? The church. The book of Revelation is revealing to us Jesus and his church. We just learned in chapter 1 that the Jesus that we serve is equal to the Father. The Father's Alpha and Omega, Jesus is first and last. The Father has the Spirit, Jesus has the Spirit. The Father has angels, Jesus has angels. The Father has created the earth for his own glory. The Son has created the earth for the glory of God as well. We see in the first chapter of Revelation that Jesus is just like the Father in these powerful attributes, but yet he is not the Father. And the Spirit is also brought up and has seven manifestations. And yet the Spirit is not the Son or the Father. And so we have the revelation of the triune God through the central person of Jesus. For there is one God and three persons that share the nature of that one God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, as we go to chapter 2, we learn about the church of Jesus Christ. The church is so special to him. If we could start at chapter 2, verse 1, please. The church is so special to him that he has in his right hand the seven stars, as we learned in Revelation 1.20, which are the seven messengers or the seven pastors of the churches. They are in his hands. And he is walking among the seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches. The first one that he brings up is the church of Ephesus. Here in the book of Acts, I have the references for you to go back and study about Paul the apostle starting this church and all the wonderful things that God did. Jesus is now going to give a report card of these churches. If you scroll up to the chart, please, you'll see that I've already done the work for you, and they'll be in every one of our notes as we go through the seven churches. But you can take your time and look at how Jesus grades these churches. He also has a pattern on how he talks to them, which we'll get into in just a moment. Going back to verse 1, please. When we see that Jesus is speaking to the church, he says to the angel of the church, We've learned before that angel, malak, or angelos, simply means messenger. This is not necessarily a heavenly creature. I take the personal position to believe that this is the local authority, the body of Christ being led by a pastor, a senior elder, that that is who God is speaking to. If you believe that he's speaking to an angel of that church, then that's pretty awesome too because we have an angel over this church. What's his name or whose name is it? You know, what is he doing today? We don't know. But please don't try to do an, a an angel seance as other churches do and say, I want to figure out who's the angel of Metro Praise. Come on over here, angel. Talk to me for a little bit. And if you have a friend that starts telling you, I talk to my angel, we hang out all the time, just know that that friend is special and that we're praying for that friend, Okay. Now I know you're being mean, Pastor, because they talk to angels in the Bible. I, I know they do. They just didn't brag about it, write books about it, and be, be weird about it. If you're going to talk to an angel, at least be normal about it and not be weird, okay? Don't come flaunting in Bible study the name of the angel you talk to and all of these things. Because just remember, Mormonism started that way, okay? Just remember, Islam started that way with people talking to angels, okay? I do believe we can talk to angels. I just don't think they come down, introduce themselves to us, and start talking and walking with us every single day. I think Jesus does that. That's the point of this. He's walking among the seven golden lampstands. He said to them, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Where two or three of you gathered, there I am with you in your midst. Jesus is in the midst of his churches. Jesus is with his church today. How many believe that? Amen. Now, as we go all the way down to my outline, please, here at the bottom, I want you to see how we can break down these times where Jesus talks to the church. 
First, he'll give a declaration. In the declaration, he says who he is. He's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he's walking among the golden lampstands. Jesus is an excellent communicator. How many believe he would be the best communicator? Amen. And so he does what is known as the sandwich method. Have you ever heard the sandwich method? You start with a little bit of encouragement, give a little bit of criticism, go back to the encouragement. Jesus is going to butter them up. Let's go to Jesus' praise of the Ephesian church. He he starts off with some praise for them. He says, you are doing awesome. You don't tolerate wicked people. Boy, that sounds kind of opposite of the Jesus of the, uh, of the culture that everybody says that we're supposed to tolerate and be more like Jesus. He literally says to them, I applaud you because you cannot tolerate wicked people. Look at the verse, verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate what? Wicked people, we're just going to be going back and forth. Yeah, so put up verse 2 for them. Highlight it there. You cannot tolerate wicked people. Now, does this mean that Jesus uh, wouldn't have been nice to somebody on the bus or his coworker who had a different opinion of different things? No, it just means that in the church, he's applauding them because they don't tolerate wicked people. I know this church would be a lot more fuller if I tolerated wicked people. Oh, it gets quiet when I preach like that. Let's be honest. A lot of churches, not saying big is bad and small is spiritual, but I'm just saying a lot of big churches are big because they do what? They tolerate wicked people. Jesus is literally, everybody get this, literally complimenting the church on not tolerating wicked people. What does the world want us to do? Yeah, tolerate wicked people. Do the exact opposite. Like you guys over there at Metro Praise, you're so intolerant. And we should be going, amen. I get a star next to my name on Judgment Day because of that. Now let's be careful. What does my intolerance mean? Does that mean I would treat somebody different on the job? No, the job is not the church. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is very clear to where the intolerance is at. The intolerance is in the church. We are not to try to Christianize the world through our government and force them to be Christians. We can influence the government to be Christian, influence, but not force. Everybody say there's a difference. I do not believe in puritanical rule, the puritan rule of making the Bible our constitution. That may be a difference between me and other Christians, but I don't believe in that. I believe that as long as we are here without a theocracy, without God ruling on his throne in Jerusalem, we are not to force our religion on others and to do that accordingly uh, and go from there. What we are supposed to do is find what is just and fair as best as we can from our Christian principles and rule with the people. As examples, Joseph in Egypt, did he make Egypt Jerusalem? No, he didn't. But was he just and fair and second in charge under Pharaoh? Was he not? Daniel was a governor of Babylon. Did Daniel have to make Babylon Israel? No, but he was just and fair as one of the prime rulers of that country. Go and do likewise. As we scroll down to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I don't know the exact verse. Uh, let's go down a little bit more, please. Keep on going right there. Let's start at verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those who are outside of the church? Are you not to judge those what? Inside, let's read it again, verse 12, everybody together, one, two, three. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Verse 13, I'll read. God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So where do we not tolerate wickedness? In the church. We do not tolerate wickedness in the church. Now, you may say, Pastor, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. That's right. Repent and get back up in Jesus' name. Anyone who continues in unrepentant sin gets a warning, and then after that, they are to be asked to leave. Go to uh, Titus chapter 2. So this is just good to know as good church um, discipline, good church order. How many think there needs to be order in the church? Amen. We do not have the principle of us four and no more, but we do want to make sure that we teach the order of the church. Uh, rather, Titus chapter 3, verse 10. 
This is the way it works. You can go to Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said it the same way. We'll go there after this because I think it would be good to confirm. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. So you warn them once, and and if I only said do it once, I'm sorry, it's it's a second time. Warn them once, warn them a second time. After After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self condemned. So it's one, two, three strikes, you're out. Amen? Go to Matthew chapter 18. Have we been patient with people in the church? Absolutely. I would like to say it like this. Those who think that the judgment comes according to the sin, that that determines how you come out of a church. That's not true. It's actually to your willingness to change. So there have been some who have maybe cheated on their wives or been in adultery, have done some things. You're like, man, kick them out the church and kick them out now. But after their warning, they repented, they came under discipline, and they're doing amazing. You might be sitting next to them right now, okay? But then there are others who might just have gossiped gossiped. And you're like, well, that's okay. That's kind of normal. And I'm just going to tolerate that. But no, we warned them once and then they just gossiped again, warned them a second time, third time, three strikes you're out. And then they may be like, oh my gosh, they kicked me out for gossip. They'll never say that. They'll say they kicked me out because I was such a nice person. Okay. You know, there's always another side of the story, right? But it's like, they kicked me out because I was such a nice person. And I just wanted everybody to pray for this person I was talking about. Okay. And, And then they'll be like, but they let adulterers stay in the church. They let them stay in the church. But hold on, hold on. Have you found the passage yet? You're getting it. Amen. Let's give it up for a doubtful in the back. He's getting there. You're getting ahead of me. That's where I want you to be. Waiting on your pastor. You knew where it was at. You knew it was somewhere and they're just scrolling around. Little heading up there helped you, but it's all right. You're getting good back there. They got to be, these guys got to be sharp back there because you know I'd be switching scriptures all the time, you know. There are no notes, nothing up the sleeve, just the Holy Ghost downloading. Amen. Now, notice the two, uh, you know, one, two, three strikes you're out. If your brother sins, go and, point that, go and point out their fault. This is Jesus talking. This is the one that everybody says you're supposed to hold up a sign and go, welcome home. That's what Jesus would say. No, Jesus is not saying welcome home to every wicked person into his house. Can wicked people come and be forgiven and be in his house? Yes. But you cannot come to Jesus' home remaining in your wickedness. Jesus is going to tell you how to kick people out of his church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Everybody say first warning. There it is. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the the testimony of two or three witnesses. Who are you to judge me? I'm God's judge right now, Jack. You better get ready for the judgment. If you are called into a meeting and there are two or three people saying, I am now a witness to what is going to happen here, you better understand we your judges. Are you listening? Well, I don't believe we should judge anybody. God does, and there's a whole book called Judges. We're just like them. Amen. Come on, somebody say judge. We're going to judge according to the Scripture. Judge righteously, not as hypocrites. So now you bring it before these two witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Everybody say second strike. And here comes the third one. If they refuse to even listen to the church, treat them as you would what? A pagan or tax collector. The very Jesus, the very Jesus that everybody thinks would keep everyone in his church is teaching us how to kick people out of his church. Okay? So we love you. We love you. Everybody say he loves us. Say the church loves us. But the church will kick me out (laughs) if I'm wicked and I don't repent. That's what Jesus complimented the church for. How many are looking forward to some rewards on Judgment Day for not tolerating wicked people in the church? And so we always say this in the church. This is what we always say. We've, what, uh, maybe 15 years of ministry, 10 to 15 people. Maybe once or twice a year this happens. So very rarely. This is not like something that happens every single day. It's not like, man, they're kicking people out all the time. It's a cult. No, no, no. It, it has a process. We have it all written up. As a matter of fact, when you join the 101, we give you the process. When you go back into 201, we remind you of the process. When you graduate and become an elder or deacon, we tell you the process again. Okay, so there's no surprises here. So somebody, like this, if you ever meet somebody that got a tear in their beer, you know, you're sitting at the bar, and they're just crying, a little tear coming out in their beer, and you're sitting next to them because we're just going to pretend you're sanctified at the bar right now. Or maybe it's at a barbecue. Let's say a barbecue, not a bar. Let's just rewind this story here. But Jesus was at the bar with sinners, right? That's a whole other story. It gets quiet. Anyways, so there you are at the barbecue. 
Somebody's crying. What are you so sad about, sad Sally? I got kicked out of Metro Praise International. They're just so mean. You just look at them and go, what did you do? <laughs> Don't look at them and be like, oh, I just feel so sorry for you. Just come here. Come here behind you. No, just look at them and go, what did you do? Say, tell me, because they will if you don't. Because <laughs> we keep all the letters. Some pastors record the conversation, but then they had lawsuits, so I'm going to stay away from that right now. But we keep ours in writing. So if they're willing to talk about us and how they got kicked out, just come to us and go, oh, did they do that? Okay, now we have permission to give you their letter. We have no problem with that. Somebody say, keep it organized. We don't want anything out of order. We don't want you to think we're ever picking on anybody. If anybody ever says they put me out in the church, ask for the writing. Say, oh, uh, I was talking to somebody at a barbecue, and I asked them what they did, and believe it or not, they said they did nothing. You know, just like everybody in jail is innocent. They, believe it or not, they said they did nothing. They, they, everything they told me they did was right, and Metro Praise was the worst. And then we'll just be like, here's the letter. Download this 20-page letter. And then <laughs> by page 5, you'll be like, ah, they didn't tell me that. Page 6, oh, okay, now, well, page 7, oh, whoa, really? I wish I would have known that then. I would have told them a thing or two, you know. So that's why I'm saying just trust your church now. And when they say they got kicked out, just look at them and go, what did you do? What did you do, you little naughty thing? You little naughty thing. I probably shouldn't even be sitting next to you right now. Bible says don't fellowship with you. Light has no common with darkness. I'm just going to hop over here, treat you as a pagan. Uh, no, we love people, and we have to disfellowship them sometime. Go back to Revelation or the notes, please. He said you can't tolerate them. I don't want to be in a church that tolerates wicked people. How many want to be in a church that's holy? How many want to be in a church that does the right thing? I mean, this kind of church is going to be a growing church and a healthy church. Because how many know you can grow, but you can grow the wrong way? How many know sometimes this grows the wrong way? But how many want to see this grow the right way? Oh, we're growing, Pastor. We're growing, Pastor. And I'm like, I want to watch, I want to have you watch a documentary, My 600 Pound Life. That's what you guys look like as a church. <laughs> I can't even get out of bed. <laughs> They're obese spiritually, they can't do nothing for the Lord. Are you listening to me? Playing their Xbox all the time, getting Kentucky Fried Chicken served to them. You an obese church. You a biggin. Yeah, you big, but you a biggin. You a biggin. I don't want to have cholesterol problems. I don't want to have heart attack problems. Are you guys listening? I want to be on fire for Jesus. No wicked people. If you want to live wicked, go do that somewhere else. Here we live for Jesus. We are the holy ones of God. We set, the, we set the reputation right in this church in Jesus' name, all by God's grace and strength. If somebody were to come to this altar today and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, not talking to the man but to God up in heaven, but you come to this altar, fall on your knees and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, you will go from being an ain't to a saint. You will go from being unholy to holy. God will then convict you as you leave out of this place to live holy. How many have been convicted of the Lord? And when you sin, he convicts you, and then you repent of your sin because you don't tolerate your sin. We don't have to tolerate the wickedness in you because you've already said, I'm not tolerating sin. John Wesley said it like this, the founder of a modern-day holiness movement. He said it like this, what you tolerate will dominate you. Do not tolerate any sin. Do not tolerate any grieving of your conscience. Let us all live as much as we can with the knowledge of God that we can of the insight of the Spirit to live without any reproach against God's Word. Let us pray like the psalmist. If there be any wicked way in me, O God, lead me in the way of everlasting life. How many believe that any temptation you face, he'll make a way of deliverance, that he will keep his word to you? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive others of their sins, Lord. He says, next, you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. Somebody say apologetics. Sometimes people look at us in the church when we're doing debates and all of this, and you're like, oh, the apostles never did that. Jesus never did that. And I'm like, have you read the Bible? I'm not saying they were lovers of arguments. They were not lovers of quarrels. That's a difference. How many know there's a difference between being in an argument that's going towards a point and someone just liking to argue? 
And we can fall into that. Don't get me wrong. We have to guard our hearts. But you need to test what people believe. I remember one time we were talking about this in a, you know, on, on the public platform. And um, I just you know, got a little sassy. And I said, if you can find a pastor who is pro-choice, I would love to get them on this podcast. And lo and behold, a pastor showed up. <laughs> I debated a pro-choice pastor. And many of you listen to you can find it online. You can go to our website and, and put in pro-choice, and I believe it will come up. And you can listen to that discussion. We have no problem in testing, putting under the microscope those of different beliefs, those who have different opinions or things that they, they hold to be true. We have no problem testing them and seeing whether or not it can stand by the Word of God. Are you willing to go through some tests? Don't just believe whatever comes your way. The days of just taking it as on a face value is over. You have to test and see which is of God and which is not of God. Test it by the word of God. Test what I give to you by the word of God. How do you know I'm right up here? And this is what I always say. See, Jehovah Witnesses and all of them, they're cowards. And I don't mean this to be like I'm picking a fight with them, but I mean this in a, in a, descriptive, a description of them. It's descriptive. They are cowards. They will come to you like a wolves in sheep clothing. Knock on your door. Hey, do you have time to talk about the Bible? We're going around doing Bible studies. We're one of witness, the witnesses of Jehovah. You know, they'll go through all of that. You'll sit down with them, and they'll start a Bible study with you. And then you as a Christian may have some questions and be like, you know, I, I don't remember hearing it that way, uh, the way you're describing Jesus as the first created being of Jehovah, as the firstborn. I, I don't remember it that way. My, my pastor, I think, said something different. And this is what you'll say to him. This is what you'll say. Can I bring my pastor here? Can I meet you again with my pastor? And you know what those cowards, you know what those wicked cowards will say? No, we didn't come to argue. We didn't come to debate. But you see, they'll come and fill your ears with that trash. But when the pastor wants to come, they want to run and hide. Are you listening to me? This is God's honest truth. But here's our witness. When I talk to a Jehovah Witness, and I can see them like a deer in headlights. They, have not, they are not ready for me. When I've invited them into the house, sat them in my office, and they see the books and everything, are you listening? This is real. You know what I always say to them? I understand you don't know this. I understand. My children watch this and see it happen. I always say to them, go back and get an elder. Get someone you trust. Get someone from the kingdom hall. Bring them. I say this to the Muslims as well. Go bring your imam. Go get the imam. Please bring your imam back to my house. The Mormons, same exact thing. Talk to the bishop, the ward, the ward leader. Bring them here. You know why? Because we are not trying to usurp authority and to convert people by force and intimidation and cultic tactics. We are the people who believe whatever is true is true in its, in the, whether it's in secret, whether it's brought into the light, and we don't have to manipulate people. So whenever you're witnessing to someone from a different religion and they're getting convicted on all of that, let them know. Say, hey, you can come back with your religious leader. You can come back with Father Tom. I say that all the time. I even think I said that to Berto when he got saved from Roman Catholicism. I said, hey, you can bring Father Tom here. You can bring whoever you want here, and I will say exactly what I'm saying to you now in their presence and you can make your decision. That's the way the Bible did it. When they went out and had their discussions, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, it was for everybody to see. He wasn't trying to take his disciples and creep with them on the side like he was some Jim Jones little dirty cult leader. Like, no, he, I don't tell your leaders what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to start a cult over here. No, Jesus went right in front of Jerusalem, right in front of the temple. Didn't he do that, my friends? When Paul went around to the pagans, did Paul just go in secret and go, you know, don't believe the goddess Diana, don't listen to her. No, he goes to Athens. He stands in front of all of them, and he says, this is the God I preach, the God whom your prophets or your poets have mentioned in, in, in mystery. I now reveal to you he is Jesus. This is the unknown God. And so let, a, let our hearts be filled with boldness in the sight of this culture. Let us not be afraid. I was even listening to, to you know, um, Ben Shapiro 
talk about uh, Carl Lentz of Hillsongs and, and, and talk about how this evangelical leader became an evangelifish when he was asked questions on the view about abortion. And here this Jew was so disappointed because he understands that as the Jewish people, they've had to stand up against tyranny. They've had to stand up for their beliefs. And he's thinking that Judeo-Christian belief, they're locked arm in arm. Christian pastors say what I'm saying. And then these evangelifishes become cowards melting like wax in the presence of these worldly leaders. How many know it's time for us to be as bold as lions, to roar forth the truth of God, but be as gentle as doves? Hallelujah. So I'm so proud of this church, and may we do the same thing. Come on, somebody. Anytime somebody shows you a different Jesus or talks about a different Jesus, bring them right to the report card and say, Jesus is expecting me not to tolerate wicked people. What you want me to get an F on Judgment Day? Jesus wants me to test the apostles and the teachers of my time and see if they're true or false and reject the false ones. Do you want me to fail that test? This is the Jesus of the Bible, my friends, and we will pass in his name by God's grace. You never know what you're going to find out when you come here, what you're going to find when you come here. Literally, one Sunday morning, just like how you showed up, we had four Mormons on stage. You never know because I had met them and I said, guys, I'm tired of you going to our members all secret. Would you come and share that in front of our church? You get 20 minutes, I get 20 minutes. I tried to record it, but they wouldn't let me record it. But how many were here that day when you showed up and there was four Mormons on stage? How about another time for a Friday youth group? Uh, just a few weeks ago, came over here. If you were you dropping your kids off, you might have saw three guys dressed like Vikings, not totally dressed like Vikings, but having some of their gear on all that because when we started reaching the pagans, we found out that one kid was a missionary's kid. He, he rejected the God of the Bible to worship Thor. Yes, he had a, one of the guys had a shirt on and said, In Thor we trust. We were sitting with them right over there. Why? Because we don't die, we multiply. We don't run and hide, we run to the bad. We are like David's in the name of Jesus. You don't know what you're going to find out around here. You might come in the back porch one day and see 12 black Hebrew Israelites all sitting back there because that's what happened. One of them kept talking to one of our members, and, and they said, man, my pastor and, and leaders would love to talk to you. Will you come? And they said, sure. So they came on a Sunday after church, and out there on the back porch, there was about 12 against two of us. It still wasn't fair for them. Are you listening? By God's grace, we're going to test them in Jesus' name. I'm not saying there's anything great about us. We come in fear and trembling just like you. What am I going to say, Lord? Help me not to embarrass myself, Jesus. They're looking for reasons to mock Christianity. But let me just tell you this. God is always there to meet us. He gives us the words to speak. And as God is my witness, he is right here. This brother is right here, and he heard what they said right out of his mouth. Did not the lead guy, the chieftain, he was called a chieftain of the Viking religion, did he not look right at me and say, I have never met anybody as knowledgeable as you on these subjects? Because they get humbled in the presence of the Lord. They think they know these things because I was raised a Christian and I know what you know and all this. Listen to me. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Your Sunday school religion is not going to work against any trick of the devil. So they went to Sunday school. They got confirmed. They think they know Christianity. Here they meet the lions of Zion. And we need to be bold as lions, amen? Bold as lions in the face of the enemy, trusting the Lord. You have persevered. And have endured hardships for my name and not grown weary. How am I going to endure hardships for Jesus? Let's keep going. Verse 4, I'm getting excited. Somebody say, don't lose your first love. But here's what he says against them. Now, he gave them all those compliments. But then what does he say? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove... I will remove the lampstand from its place. How many know I got the fear of God right now in my belly? Because I did I not pass the first test? Come on, everybody look up at me as Vinny comes and plays the soft music. Everybody look up at me, please. Did I not, did your pastor pass the first test? Do I tolerate wicked people? Do I test false apostles? Have I endured hardship? Yeah, but what's a warning for me? Thank God I still have my first love. But what is a warning for me that I could do all of that and still lose my first love? What a sad day that would be. On the outside, Ephesus looked amazing. On the outside, they were the most radical bunch. They were on fire. But on the inside, Jesus said, I see something and it's not right. You don't love me like you used to.
you get too much pleasure out of proving people wrong. You're doing this now out of your own habit. Some people are Cubs fans whether they win or not. Lovable losers, you suffer for being a Cubs fan. You're just being a Jesus fan now because that's what you've always done and that's just the most easiest thing. And you've lost your first love. And as quickly as it could be said about them, it could be said of us. Turn to Ephesians 6.24 in closing. They had the greatest apostle among them for three years. The longest place anywhere Paul was at was Ephesus. They had some of the greatest testimonies. They came out of witchcraft. They came out of great persecution and riots. They gave up all of their lifestyles of sin, valuing millions of dollars. They stood up for Jesus in the midst of persecution. And the apostle at his last verse of the last chapter said, Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. They had the greatest apostle spend the greatest amount of time, give them one of the greatest epistles and one of the greatest injunctions. And by the time of Jesus' report card, just a mere 20 plus years later, they are now being rebuked for losing the very thing they were told to hold on to. Dear God, if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. Put a holy fear in our hearts, O Lord, to never turn away from you. We have to learn to examine our hearts and make sure that we're not just going through the motions of a Christian just because it's our thing to do now. But we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I was in my prayer time yesterday writing out some resolutions that I am setting up by God's grace for this year. And I just felt the Lord begin to speak to my heart to never lose my first love, never lose the heart of a child in Abba's arms and Daddy's arms. And tears just began to come down my eyes because we can be so busy, we can be so outwardly focused that we forget that this thing was always about love. Jesus did not create us in the garden just to be gardeners. He created us for love. He didn't create us just to be fruitful and multiply because it feels good. He created us to bring more children of love into his family. He didn't give us a command to not touch and die, uh, to eat from a fruit because we would die. He told us not to do it because it would separate us from his love. This whole thing has been a love relationship. John 3.16 is the heart of God that He so loved us that He gave His Son to die for us that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I pray today Metro Praise International is one of the most radical churches around that you would never lose your first love for God. Going back to the notes, please. Jesus gives His introduction. He gives praise to the people. He gives rebuke. And now he gives praise back to the people. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. How many know that sassy Jesus right there? The Bible talks about hating practices. You should hate certain things. How many hate sin? And how many know you should hate whatever they practice? Not hate the sinner, but hate whatever they practice. It's like Jesus saying to us, and by the way, you got this in your favor. You hate what Oprah does, and I hate what she does too. You hate what they do on those TV shows, and I hate what they do too. I hate what those Muslims are doing, and you also hate it. We have to remember to hate what God hates and love what he loves. And then he ends with the crescendo because it's all about Jesus. Everybody say, it's all about Jesus. He ends just like he started. It's all about him. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I pray we hear that today. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. How many are going to paradise to be with Jesus? Let's stand up and give it up for him today. Hallelujah. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come in closing, please? Oh, don't lose your first love, saints. That's why you got to be.